Chapter Ten of the Sign of the Four by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, The End of the Islander. Our meal was a merry one. Holmes could talk exceedingly well when he chose, and that night he did choose. He appeared to be in a state of nervous exultation. I have never known him so brilliant. He spoke on a quick succession of subjects, on miracle plays on medieval pottery on stradivarius violins on the buddhism of ceylon and on the warships of the future handling each as though he had made a special study of it his bright humor marked the reaction from his black depression of the preceding days Athelney jones proved to be a sociable soul in his hours of relaxation and faced his dinner with the air of a bon vivant for myself i felt elated at the thought that we were nearing the end of our task and i caught something of holmes's gaiety none of us alluded during dinner to the cause which had brought us together when the cloth was cleared holmes glanced at his watch and filled up three glasses with port one bumper said he to the success of our little expedition and now it is high time we were off have you a pistol watson i have my old service revolver in my desk you had best take it then it is well to be prepared i see that the cab is at the door i ordered it for half past six it was little past seven before we reached the westminster wharf and found our launch awaiting us holmes eyed it critically is there anything to mark it as a police boat yes that green lamp at the side then take it off the small change was made we stepped on board and the ropes were cast off jones holmes and i sat in the stern there was one man at the rudder one to tend the engines and two burly police inspectors forward where to asked jones to the tower tell them to stop opposite jacobson's yard our craft was evidently a very fast one we shot past the long lines of loaded barges as though they were stationary Holmes smiled with satisfaction as we overhauled a river steamer and left her behind us we ought to be able to catch anything on the river he said well hardly that but there are not many launches to beat us we shall have to catch the aurora and she has a name for being a clipper i will tell you how the land lies watson you recollect how annoyed i was at being balked by so small a thing yes well i gave my mind a thorough rest by plunging into a chemical analysis one of our greatest statesmen has said that a change of work is the best rest so it is when i had succeeded in dissolving the hydrocarbon which i was at work at i came back to our problem of the sholtos and thought the whole matter out again my boys have been up the river and down the river without result the launch was not at any landing stage or wharf nor had it returned yet it could hardly have been scuttled to hide their traces though that always remained as a possible hypothesis if all else failed i knew this man small had a certain degree of low cunning but i did not think him capable of anything in the nature of delicate finesse that is usually a product of higher education i then reflected that since he had certainly been in london some time as we had evidence that he maintained a continual watch over pondicherry lodge he could hardly leave at a moment's notice but would need some little time if it were only a day to arrange his affairs 
That was the balance of probability, at any rate. "'It seems to me to be a little weak,' said I. "'It is more probable that he had arranged his affairs before ever he set out upon his expedition.' "'No, I hardly think so. This lair of his would be too valuable a retreat in case of need for him to give it up until he was sure that he could do without it. But a second consideration struck me. Jonathan Small must have felt that the peculiar appearance of his companion, however much he may have top-coated him, would give rise to gossip and possibly be associated with this Norwood tragedy. He was quite sharp enough to see that. They had started from their headquarters under cover of darkness, and he would wish to get back before it was broad light. Now, it was past three o'clock, according to Mrs. Smith, when they got the boat. It would be quite bright, and people would be about in an hour or so. Therefore I argued that they did not go very far. They paid Smith well to hold his tongue, reserved his launch for the final escape, and hurried to their lodgings with the treasure-box. In a couple of nights, when they had time to see what view the papers took, and whether there was any suspicion, they would make their way under cover of darkness to some ship at Gravesend or in the Downs, where no doubt they had already arranged for passages to America or the colonies. But the launch, they could not have taken that to their lodgings. Quite so. I argued that the launch must be no great way off, in spite of its invisibility. I then put myself in the place of small, and looked at it as a man of his capacity would. He would probably consider that to send back the launch, or to keep it at a wharf, would make pursuit easy if the police did happen to get on his track. How then could he conceal the launch, and yet have her at hand when wanted? I wondered what I should do myself if I were in his shoes. I could only think of one way of doing it. I might land the launch over to some boat-builder or repairer, with directions to make a trifling change in her. She would then be removed to his shed or yard, and so be effectually concealed, while at the same time I could have her at a few hours' notice. That seems simple enough. It is just these very simple things which are extremely liable to be overlooked. However, I determined to act on the idea. I started at once in this harmless seaman's rig, and inquired at all the yards down the river. I drew blank at fifteen, but at the sixteenth, Jacobson's, I learned that the Aurora had been handed over to them two days ago by a wooden-legged man, with some trivial directions as to her rudder. "'There ain't naught amiss with her rudder,' said the foreman. "'There she lies, with the red streaks.' At that moment, who should come down but Mordecai Smith, the missing owner? He was rather the worse for liquor. I should not, of course, have known him, but he bellowed out his name and the name of his launch. "'I want her tonight at eight o'clock,' said he. Eight o'clock sharp, mind, for I have two gentlemen who won't be kept waiting.' They had evidently paid him well, for he was very flush of money, chucking shillings about to the men. I followed him some distance but he subsided into an alehouse. So I went back to the yard, and happening to pick up one of my boys on the way, I stationed him as a sentry over the launch. He is to stand at water's edge and wave his handkerchief to us when they start. We shall be lying off in the stream, and it will be a strange thing if we do not take men, treasure, 
and all you have planned it all very neatly whether they are the right men or not said jones but if the affair were in my hands i should have had a body of police in jacobson's yard and arrested them when they came down which would have been never this man small is a pretty shrewd fellow he would send a scout on ahead and if anything made him suspicious lie snug for another week but you might have stuck to mordecai smith and so been led to their hiding place said i in that case i would have wasted my day i think that it is a hundred to one against smith knowing where they live as long as he has liquor and a good pay why should he ask questions they send him messages what to do no i thought every possible course and this is the best while this conversation had been proceeding we had been shooting the long series of bridges which span the thames as we passed the city the last rays of the sun were gilding the cross upon the summit of st paul's it was twilight before we reached the tower that is jacobson's yard said holmes pointing to a bristle of masts and rigging on the surrey side cruise gently up and down here under cover of this string of lighters he took a pair of night glasses from his pocket and gazed some time at the shore i see my sentry at his post he remarked but no sign of a handkerchief suppose we go downstream a short way and lie in wait for them said jones eagerly we were all eager by this time even the policemen and stokers who had a very vague idea of what was going forward we have no right to take anything for granted holmes answered it is certainly ten to one that they go downstream but we cannot be certain from this point we can see the entrance of the yard and they can hardly see us it will be a clear night and plenty of light we must stay where we are see how the folks swarm over yonder in the gaslight they are coming from work in the yard dirty looking rascals but i suppose every one has some little immortal spark concealed about him you would not think it to look at them there is no a priori probability about it a strange enigma is man someone calls him a soul concealed in an animal i suggested winwood reed is good upon the subject said holmes he remarks that while the individual man is an insoluble puzzle in the aggregate he becomes a mathematical certainty you can for example never foretell what any one man will do but you can say with precision what an average number will be up to individuals vary but percentages remain constant so says the statistician but do i see a handkerchief surely there is a white flutter over yonder yes it is your boy i cried i can see him plainly and there is the aurora exclaimed holmes and going like the devil full speed ahead engineer make after that launch with the yellow light by heaven i shall never forgive myself if she proves to have the heels of us she had slipped unseen through the yard entrance and passed behind two or three small craft so that she had fairly got her speed up before we saw her now she was flying down the stream near into the shore going at a tremendous rate jones looked gravely at her and shook his head she's very fast he said i doubt if we shall catch her we must catch her cried holmes between his teeth heap it on stokers make her do all she can if we burn the boat we must have them we were fairly after her now 
the furnaces roared and the powerful engines whizzed and clanked like a great metallic heart her sharp steep prow cut through the river water and sent two rolling waves to right and to left of us with every throb of the engines we sprang and quivered like a living thing one great yellow lantern in our bows threw a long flickering funnel of light in front of us right ahead a dark blur upon the water showed where the aurora lay and a swirl of white foam behind her spoke of the pace at which she was going we flashed past barges steamers merchant vessels in and out behind this one and round the other voices hailed us out of the darkness but still the aurora thundered on and still we followed close upon her track pile it on men pile it on cried holmes looking down into the engine room while the fierce glow from below beat upon his eager aquiline face get every pound of steam you can i think we can gain a little said jones with his eyes on the aurora i'm sure of it said i we shall be up with her in a very few minutes at that moment however as our evil fate would have it a tug with three barges in tow blundered in between us it was only by putting our helm hard down that we avoided a collision and before we could round them and recover our way the aurora had gained a good two hundred yards she was still however well in view and the murky uncertain twilight was setting into a clear starlit night our boilers were strained to their utmost and the frail shell vibrated and creaked with the fierce energy which was driving us along we had shot through the pool past the west india docks down the long deptford reach and up again after rounding the isle of dogs the dull blur in front of us resolved itself now clearly enough into the dainty aurora jones turned our searchlight upon her so that we could plainly see the figures upon her deck one man sat by the stern with something black between his knees over which he stooped beside him lay a dark mass which looked like a newfoundland dog the boy held the tiller while against the red glare of the furnace i could see old smith stripped to the waist and shoveling coals for dear life they may have had some doubt at first as to whether we were really pursuing them but now as we followed every winding and turning which they took there could be no longer any question about it at greenwich we were about three hundred paces behind them at blackwall we could not have been more than two hundred and fifty i have coursed many creatures in many countries during my chequered career but never did sport give me such a wild thrill as this mad flying manhunt down the thames steadily we drew in upon them yard by yard in the silence of the night we could hear the panting and clanking of their machinery the man in the stern still crouched upon the deck and his arms were moving as though he were busy while every now and then he would look up and measure with a glance the distance which still separated us nearer we came and nearer jones yelled to them to stop we were not more than four boats lengths behind them both boats flying at a tremendous pace it was a clear reach of the river with barking level upon one side and the melancholy plumstead marshes upon the other at our hail the man in the stern sprang up from the deck and shook his two clinched fists at us cursing the while in a high cracked voice he was a good-sized powerful man and as he stood poising himself with legs astride i could see that from the thigh downwards 
there was but a wooden stump upon the right side at the sound of his strident angry cries there was movement in the huddled bundle upon the deck it straightened itself into a little black man the smallest i have ever seen with a great misshapen head and a shock of tangled dishevelled hair holmes had already drawn his revolver and i whipped out mine at the sight of this savage distorted creature he was wrapped in some sort of dark ulster or blanket which left only his face exposed but that face was enough to give a man a sleepless night never have i seen features so deeply marked with all bestiality and cruelty his small eyes glowed and burned with a somber light and his thick lips were writhed back from his teeth which grinned and chattered at us with a half animal fury fire if he raises his hand said holmes quietly we were within a boat's length by this time and almost within touch of our quarry i can see the two of them now as they stood the white man with his legs far apart shrieking out curses and the unhallowed dwarf with his hideous face and his strong yellow teeth gnashing at us in the light of our lantern it was well that we had so clear a view of him even as we looked he plucked out from under his covering a short round piece of wood like a school ruler and clapped it to his lips our pistols rang out together he whirled round threw up his arms and with a kind of choking cough fell sideways into the stream i caught one glimpse of his venomous menacing eyes amid the white swirl of the waters at the same moment the wooden-legged man threw himself upon the rudder and put it hard down so that his boat made straight in for the southern bank while we shot past her stern only clearing her by a few feet we were round after her in an instant but she was already nearly at the bank it was a wild and desolate place where the moon glimmered upon a wide expanse of marshland with pools of stagnant water and beds of decaying vegetation the launch with a dull thud ran up upon the mud-bank with her bow in the air and her stern flush with the water the fugitive sprang out but his stump instantly sank its whole length into the sodden soil in vain he struggled and writhed not one step could he possibly take either forwards or backwards he yelled in impotent rage and kicked frantically into the mud with his other foot but his struggles only bored his wooden pin the deeper into the sticky bank when we brought our launch alongside he was so firmly anchored it was only by throwing the end of a rope over his shoulders that we were able to haul him out and to drag him like some evil fish over our side the two smiths father and son sat sullenly in their launch but came aboard meekly enough when commanded the aurora herself was hauled off and made fast to our stern a solid iron chest of indian workmanship stood upon the deck this there could be no question was the same that had contained the ill-omened treasure of the sholtos there was no key but it was of considerable weight so we transferred it carefully to our own little cabin as we steamed slowly upstream again we flashed our searchlight in every direction but there was no sign of the islander somewhere in the dark ooze at the bottom of the thames lie the bones of that strange visitor to our shores see here said holmes pointing to the wooden hatchway 
we were hardly quick enough with our pistols there sure enough just behind where we had been standing stuck one of those murderous darts which we knew so well it must have whizzed between us at the instant that we fired holmes smiled at it and shrugged his shoulders in his easy fashion but i confess that it turned me sick to think of the horrible death which had passed so close to us that night end of chapter 10